Coming up on this episode of East Screen, Kevin has some news about Doraemon in Hong Kong, Chinese New Year movie madness, and a boost to the local film fund. Thank you, John Tsang. And a little bit later, I'll be talking about the Chinese New Year film, 12 Golden Ducks. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong, China, and other parts of Asia. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from his news desk in a back alley of a Thai restaurant in Portland Street is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, Paul. Hello, everybody. Actually, I'm thinking about moving to to a hot pot restaurant down the street, but I saw a rat ran down that way, so I don't think it's going to work out. Mm, yeah, yeah. But hot pot, that makes me hungry. Mm, little sheep I yeah have you ever had rat in a hot pot because i hear i hear it's pretty good but i don't really want to try out one so i was hoping for some opinions mm, yeah Ask i don't know friend yeah. i don't know i think i'll stick with the with lamb it is the year of the lamb so i think that's a we'll have to wait for the year of the rat to have rat hot pot oh god <laughs> i'm the year of the rat man i'm gonna i'm not gonna touch the same kind yeah well how are you doing sir you've been away you've been on uh on a hiatus overseas, you were where were you? Tai, Taipei, Taiwan, Tainan. Yeah, I know. I just spent a weekend in Taipei. It was I literally landed on Friday night and left. Came back to Hong Kong on Sunday night, so I didn't have to take one day of annual leave. Uh, some people would think I'm really stupid. Some people would think I'm crazy. Personally, I think I'm a genius. But uh, yeah, the trip was uh was good. It it's um walked around, had some food. I mean that's pretty much what Taipei is really great for about tourism. Um lots of good food and uh pretty sights. Mm. And uh it's not a I mean people think in terms of international travel, but from Hong Kong it's just a kind of a skip and a jump, right? It really is just an hour away. Yeah, but actually the trips that, that I do, the flight times that I usually take is their night flights and they're usually the really busy time uh, for both airports that the flight sort of ends up being about two hours. But actually the actual flying time is about uh, an hour or so because I um, usually for if you sit in the economy, you get only get like a box of like um, a sandwich or something and a drink. But I was in business class because I redeemed my um, air miles to get a business class ticket. Um, the crew literally managed to rush rush us into a meal service and then we, we were landing already. So it's really a, a short flight. Mm. Well, that's nice. Did you meet any uh, any big wigs or, or celebs up there in uh, business class? Paul, I, I am the big wig. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Redemption ticket. Yeah, did they take you through the, the special, you know, back channel where uh, all all the they they keep all the celebrities hidden, you know, so that the paparazzi doesn't find them. Yeah, the the, the special bar where yeah, n- n- no, that I mean that's first class, and you know, regional planes don't have first class, so Cathay knows what they're doing. So what did you what did you do? I mean, while while you were there, 
um, anything? I mean, did, was it was it just for entertainment purposes, or were you doing any side work? Or no, no, I didn't do any work at all. Actually, the whole point is because I did two very you know big translation jobs in January, so I figured I kind of earned myself a break, um, even though you know without taking any day off from work. Um, yeah, I just need, I just wanted like a, a weekend away. Um, so so Taipei it was, and it, actually when when Friday night when I landed, I I filed like two stories. So I I did I betrayed myself and worked. So you didn't happen to take a jump seat, did you? No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Actually, I it. Ah, <laughs> uh, the media take blows things out of proportion so much that I feel like we have plus we can connect to some kind of traveling disguise thing. I'm not sure. Sure. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we've got a lot of stuff going on, um, and we're going to come back a little bit later with our review of 12 Golden Ducks. But before we get into that, let's turn it over to Kevin with some news. Here at the news desk this week, a couple of box office news, a news about the Hong Kong Film Fund, and a little bonus uh, at the end that has nothing to do with films, but worth talking about anyway because, you know, I run the news desk. Um, so first up, Doraemon, Stand By Me, Doraemon. This is the Japanese animated film uh, based on a really popular robot cat character, in case some of you don't know. Um has become the highest-grossing Japanese film in Hong Kong. Um, it uh, in just seven days, the film opened officially opened at least on nineteenth, the the first day of the um, New Year holiday. Even though it had about a week of previews, so technically, or theoretically, so so to speak, that it, it took only seven days for the animated film to beat The Ring as the um, highest-grossing Japanese language film in Hong Kong. Of course, there's some asterisks, some fine print there. Like I said, first, the film actually has several days of about weekend of previews before that because it was Valentine's Day before that, and, you know, everyone watches movies on Valentine's Day, right? Oh, that's my idea of Valentine's Day. Um, <clears throat> and, and, and so it took a little longer than seven days, actually about maybe maybe about two weeks, give or take, um, but you know that's just technicality, um, and also actually almost about ninety eight percent of all the film screenings uh, were the the was the Cantonese dub, and I think the reason for that is because of um, a lot of audience want to listen to the voice of Doraemon in Hong Kong uh, one last time. Uh, the voice actor, Mr. Lam Po Chun, he he passed away in January, so uh, Stand by Me, Doraemon, and Perhaps from Vegas to Macau, I couldn't tell if it was his voice, but I think that was his voice in the film. But anyway, Stand By Me, Doraemon is officially uh, Mr. Lam's final film, and he was the, the voice of Doraemon in Hong Kong for over 20 years. So that made him a real iconic voice here in Hong Kong. And I think Paul will may have something to add about, about you know Mr. Lam's other voice work outside of Doraemon. But um, anyway, the film has made, uh, as of last weekend, already over $40 million Hong Kong and may actually even beat Kung Fu Panda 2 as the highest grossing animated film uh, of all time in Hong Kong. But I think, I'm not sure if that's happened yet because I haven't checked the numbers, but that, that is still very much uh, possible. So when I was trying to actually watch a Japanese version of the film because um, I grew up abroad and I read the comic and never watched the Hong Kong dubbed version and it was actually very very difficult for me to find a screening in Japanese so that kind of brings up a question is it if a the Cantonese version of a Japanese film uh, 
um, sets a box office record for being a Japanese film. Is it? Is that really the case? I'm not sure. I mean, um, I may be only per- the only person who is holding that debate, but you know. But hey, the film is good and 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 it's really touching, and and Doraemon fans are really happy with it, and um, it's good that a real Jap- a real Asian animated film has beaten a fake Asian animated film. So there you go, uh, Paul. What what what? You you heard a lot of Mr. Lamb's voice outside Doraemon. He's pretty iconic, right? He's yeah. a pretty recognizable voice. Yeah, I'm, I mean, uh, I'm not a huge Doraemon fan. I mean, I recognize the character obviously. He's he's very ubiquitous here in Hong Kong. Uh, and I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen clips and I've seen trailers for um, the many animated movies they've released over the years. This is the, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first sort of CG version, right? Where they've yeah, used the, the 3D CG animation style rather than the 2D traditional style. Right, this is the first uh, film that that uh, used the traditional 3D style. And I believe the first film that actually based on the short the short original manga stories rather than the uh, the longer single episode stories uh, because there have been uh, Doraemon animated films have been out for a long long time but for the hundred some I think it's a birth some kind of birth anniversary of the original author um, that they decide to to adapt the original stories and link seven old stories together and there's a first time to do that as well I think yeah but the the voice actor himself is also he also got quite a bit of work. Um, on local television, yes, doing announcement work on uh, TVB variety shows and things like that, and that's where I've heard his voice quite often. And I think he's also been in the occasional commercial, and his voice is certainly very distinctive, very recognizable. Um, I, you know, it would be like um, getting somebody who you recognize. I'm trying to think of an, of an equivalent because. Um, not, not not like somebody like Mel Blanc who did lots of different voices, but somebody whose whose voice is instantly recognizable as a particular character, and then just hearing that character do the announcement for like Saturday Night Live or for the Tonight Show or, or something, um, and then you all you you know you recognize that narrator's voice uh, right away. So, uh, very popular person in Hong Kong, and, and it's kind of kind of sad to know that he's no longer going to be around. Um, you know, providing his voice for us anymore. Right. Um, so speaking of which, um, since we started on Doraemon and uh, Chinese New Year box office, um, we're uh, the, the the Chinese New Year is finally over. Uh, thanks for the red envelope, by the way. Paul. Oh wait, we haven't haven't. It's here. Don't... I've got it. it that just... was the intention. That was the intention. I totally forgot. I haven't seen you in like yeah, three weeks. We, Sorry, we, we, we've not been able to arrange a, a get together as yet. Yes, yes. Uh, because because actually on Friday night I went to a dinner and I and I did the whole Happy New Year thing and the guy with my my, my friend reminded me that, yeah, Chinese New Year's ended. I don't have to give you an envelope anymore. And I'm like, damn, missed it so, by one day. Missed it one day. <laughs> but anyway, um, so that's officially over. So it's time to talk about what was the top Lunar New Year films uh, here in Hong Kong. And you'll be surprised. Um, Doraemon's the top film. That's that's easy that they beat everything else by a mile um but the top local film is actually from vegas to macau too it's a bit of a surprise because actually trap in the skies during the four-day public holiday it was actually the top local film but word of mouth on that film um was so bad that it that the film's grosses dropped very quickly and even the um added new scene of 12 golden ducks 
um, uh, didn't really Spoiler. <laughs> it was all over the press. All right. Well, it's the cat's out. The, the, the out of the bag, I'll say. <laughs> it It's all over the press. Sorry. Okay. And it's like at the end of the film, right? So. <laughs> Someone told me it adds nothing to the plot. So I'm just like, well, he shows up. Yeah. I have something to say about that, too, anyway. So we'll, we'll get did, back to that. Did, bleep this okay you get me you know later edit it out i don't know i'll, I'll throw thing a spoiler not... warning or something just just no just add like spoiler over when i say the word that name okay um uh so the top film um almost practically by default became from vegas macau 2 um and if i, I could just I do a do a quick ronald cheng impression unbelievable that was a terrible <laughs> Ronald Chang but it was a terrible movie come on people that's the top movie of the Chinese New Year yeah it was also a top new New Year movie in China as well making now nearly 800 million renminbi which is uh, I think about 110 million US dollars mm. um, I believe that that outgrosses almost every film that Chan Fa has been in in Hollywood in just two weeks um so, you know, people criticized the first film for being, you know, old-fashioned and sort of just just, just uh, recycling cliches. But in the end, no one can resist the power of Chow Yun-Fat. Um, it appears so in both places. Um, so, <laughs> there it is. Uh, second place is Twelve Golden Ducks, which has now the uh, spoiler alert cameo, apparently that I shouldn't have talked about, and uh, also Triumph in the Skies in third place, um, and uh, and Inspector Calls by a mile in fourth place. Um, and the the second round of Chinese New Year New New Year film um, uh, is Lucky Stars, but. Uh, is it a 2015? The Chinese title is 2015. The English title doesn't have a 2015. But anyway, the the the, the Eric Zhang New Year comedy that just opened this weekend. But even that could only get like about five cinemas showing it at the oddest time. So apparently there would be no second round box office uh, for New New Year this year. Um, and actually, even though it sounds like oh, Vegas Macau is a is a huge hit, there's a very likely possibility that the film actually won't do better than the first film here in Hong Kong and I guess that's understandable but in China it's already done like uh, 800 mil which is way more than the first film's 530 million renminbi gross um, don't ask me to explain it I have no idea there were like seven movies out so it's not like they were they, they didn't have a choice um, and people still chose to go watch China Fat so apparently the fat is still very strong uh, the, the power of fat is still very strong in China and good for him you know China Fat's gotta make money and his movies gotta make money and I hope this this, this would you know open him up to make that that uh, um, festival friendly art film that you know he's, he does all these other commercial films too oh wait he doesn't do that never mind well, I, it does raise one question in my mind in that he's kind of under a little bit of a blacklist uh, issue, right? I mean, coming out of out of statements from the political things that happened last year, does the fact that this film is a huge success uh, point to the idea that maybe that's just going to be in, you know, in name only and that he'll have no trouble getting more work now because of the revenue? 
first of all, he 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 didn't really say anything political. Um, uh, uh, he he yes, he was. A lot, a lot of the press wanted wanted to have that story of Charan Fest saying he supports the protest, but I think the exact quote didn't involve that. Um, and and two, um, there was no. I, I haven't actually seen him saying that quote. I mean, it's from Abu Dhabi. I have no idea whether the quote was taken out of context or not. But anywho, um, if we're gonna go into conspiracy theory, is that. Wang Jing, remember, for about every day, nearly every day during the 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 occupied um, movement, Wang Jing every day has something anti-occupied to say on his Weibo and bashing the pan Democrats and bashing the protests and bashing the students. Um, and mind you, this is only about a year after he wrote a Weibo post saying that Joshua Wong is the future of Hong Kong. So um, there are a lot of conspiracy, conspiracy theory, whether whether uh, about whether Wang Jing was sort of pressure to say that by his bosses in order to keep this movie in opening in China and um, it seems like now he has the financial uh, um, uh, financial reward or financial um, justification to do that now whether whether there is a you know whether Chan Fat ever said that or not it, it seems like his being the film where his his saying that line did not affect the film, I guess, because of a lot of work behind the scenes. So, yeah, um, I suppose, actually, if anything, this would even make Hong Kong stars, director stars, even more careful uh, in terms of what they want to say. Because, look, Wang Jing did what he did, and he got uh, rewarded handsomely for it. So, um, that, that's the, the, political or the yeah, political reality in Hong Kong cinema. Hmm. Maybe he should do a movie with Jackie Chan. Remember, Jackie Chan just wants peace. Have you seen Dra Dragon Blade? Apparently, Jackie Chan just wants peace among everyone, mm. especially his son, I guess. <laughs> well, if he really wants peace, they should both move to uh, Colorado and uh, set up a shop selling spleef together, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you go, well, yes, Jackie Chan did say last week, he said, what's wrong with being patriotic? I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say I'm patriotic if, you know, whatever, blah, blah, so I don't know. You know, Jackie Chan has always been Jackie Chan. So, yeah, <laughs> there you go. I'm not going to say any more about that. Yeah, they should do a remake of a Cheech and Chong movie, Jackie and JC's next movie or something. You know. <laughs> All right. Uh, you got some news for us about uh, the Hong Kong government, right? The film fund. Yeah, um, a couple of, or a week and a half ago or so, Zhang Sang, the Hong, uh, financial secretary of Hong Kong, announced his budget for 2015 to 2016. Now, this includes uh, putting in um, an extra 200 million Hong Kong dollars into the Film Development Fund of Hong Kong. Just pretty much replenishing the original fund that was established in 2007, uh, the fund originally had 300 million Hong Kong dollars. Um, and now they're replenishing it with another 200. The, the fund, uh, if I may um, explain a little bit, uh, actually has two functions. Uh, the first function is to, to um, fund projects that quote unquote contribute towards the development of the Hong Kong film industry. This includes uh, um, um, training talent of uh, holding festivals uh in fact the the hong kong film market's a sizable subsidy or grant from the from the hong kong film development fund um and also sending um 
uh, groups of people or, or, or you know, to, to overseas abroad to go to film festivals. The other part of the film fund um, is, is financing productions. It provides up to 35% of the budget of a feature film that costs no more than $15 million Hong Kong. But the conditions are that the production must have already secured third-party financing, which means that, you know, the film development fund will refuse to fund the film entirely. That it employs at least one Hong Kong permanent resident in a major creative role. This also means that someone who, who comes from mainland China and becomes a permanent resident can take the film and make it a co-production or whatever and take it all, all the way to China, which actually is the case for several um, uh, FDF-funded uh, film already. And also it must be quote-unquote commercially viable. Um, so those are kind of the, the, the catch of the, the film development fund. Now, um, so the, in the additional to the $200 million investment, uh, the budget ceiling for the, for the uh, FDF-supported film will now be raised from $15 million Hong Kong to $25 million, which means that bigger budget film can now take advantage of it. I, think, I believe the most expensive film so far to take advantage of the fund is The Midnight After, the Fruit Chan film, but uh, I can't be sure. There, was 30, there are 30 films that have been already supported by the, film, by the fund. Um, and the, the uh, Sang's uh, finance report brought up three of the really the biggest hits, uh, their examples. And uh, unfortunately, I think the only three hits of the fund, which are Echoes of the Rainbow, The Way We Dance, and The Midnight After. Uh, those are the only three real hits. But anyway, now that it's raised to $25 million, it gives a bit more, more room. Uh, for bigger budget films, local productions to to sort of uh, take advantage of this fund. Um, and also the FDF will launch a subsidy scheme that will provide up to two Hong Kong million dollars for films that cost less than 10 Hong Kong million dollars. Um, uh, so this is a more of an indie thing, I guess. And uh, and unlike the the film development fund for the, for the uh, other films, this is a subsidy, not a, not a loan. Um, so yes, the F FDF is actually a loan because um, the government's audit commission in 2012 criticized the fund for for having a low recovery rate for productions, which, which means that none of the other film or none of the uh, fund films have made enough money uh, for the government to collect their own money back, which apparently made the audit commission mad. Now the idea of the government just loaning out money for films doesn't really spell out, you know, support quote-unquote support for me because films are risky investments and honestly if you're asking for the government's help it means you're not making something that's super commercially viable and you need a bit of uh, you need a helping hand so i don't understand the whole idea of government just sort of lending out money expecting its money back for making movies but anyway that's besides the point um um other i guess also you need to know about fdf is that the the, the um the, the the fund has also been criticized for spending um, about seventy percent of its money on invest uh, on film projects or, or projects, not on productions. Which means that they um, uh, some of the th stuff I found out when I wrote the story is that they spent three hundred Hong Kong uh, three hundred thousand Hong Kong dollars to send a simple life to the Venice Film Festival, which means they spent all this money to to send I don't know maybe. Um, company officials or or the uh film company people or andy lao or to pay for pay for um 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 dini dini yip's trip to to venice um 1.32 million um 
for the for the Asian Film Awards, uh, four point seven. 4.78 million for another Asian Film Awards uh, uh, um, um, activity and things like that. So the fund has also, also been criticized for using so much, so much money for stuff that are not production related. So these are sort of, like I said, you know, it's nice on paper that the, the government has added 200 million into the fund, but the, 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 the effectiveness of the fund itself is also in, in question and um, uh, before a couple of months before this the chief executive um, mentioned that he was hoping the government would support the the film industry by building additional cinemas which uh, has has drew the the um, criticism from from um, surprisingly criticism from uh, um, legislators from the pro-government side saying that oh you know why don't you help other industries? Why do you help the film industry? Why help the film industry when, when uh, the film industry uh, clearly needs to rely on mainland China cinema? Uh, it is no longer there is no longer Hong Kong cinema. Blah blah. blah. Su- such kind of criticism. So even sort of in the Hong Kong government there or in Hong Kong, there's some bit of debate about whether the government should be doing so much to help films. Um, and yeah, that is like I said. Like I said earlier, this again the political reality, or just the reality of of trying to do film in Hong Kong. Um, the reality of that is that um, there really isn't total one hundred percent support for the film industry here in Hong Kong. Um, Paul, what any any thoughts about this? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, with stuff like this, I think that there's always a slippery slope with regard to. Uh, how these things get, you know, how these things get used, and and uh, the ways in which they 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 game the system, I guess. Um, and I mean, if you look at the films that you mentioned who benefited from the fund, okay, the way we dance and 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 is probably I think a, an interesting an, an interesting film to to think about. It's probably a film that may have, may have had difficulty getting made. Um, without help from the fund. But I think of a Fruit Chan film, he's already got enough clout with his name that I think he could get producers to come on board. It might just take a little bit more work, you know, because he's already had significant success in the festival circuit, you know. And, and But my understanding is that with things like this, it becomes more about um, helping people who are already established who per- perhaps don't need the help and less about helping the new up-and-coming indie director who maybe really needs the help but has a good idea but, you know, can't get regular producers to come on board because nobody's willing to, to take that risk or take that gamble on, uh, you know, a new director or, or a new, you know, up-and-coming um, creative person. So That is indeed a problem because the remember the, one of the conditions of the... Um, the fund is that the film is commercially viable. I mean, who is there to who's determine who's determined whether a film is commercially viable? And I mean, most of these movie, movies end up not making money anyway, so they were kind of wrong about being commercially viable, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, and you you can look at a you look at a like Echoes of the Rainbow, um, you know, that's perhaps maybe a middle ground film, but even so, the the, the director already had a lot of work in the industry. I'm sure he had a lot of connections. You know, he'd been a writer. Uh, he he directed other things, and uh, I, when I think of a fund like this, I think of something that is there to try and again help inspire the the, the upcoming generation and 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 
you know, getting them to get their foot in the door rather than it sort of being a closed, you know, boys and girls club where people who are already in the door, who already have these connections, you know, who can use their, their, their guanxi or their guanhai to get, you know, to, to, to use those relationships to, 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 to make these deals and, and to get that money. I don't have a problem, I, I think, in the fact that the government expects a return. Um, you know, so the loan aspect, I think, is fine. It's the idea that, you know, you treat it maybe like a student loan or something, so that if a film isn't as commercially successful as, as hoped, I mean, everybody, I'm sure, hopes that their film is going to be commercially successful. At least there's not a huge, you know, penalty. It's not like if you've borrowed money from, you know, the, the triads, right? They're not going to come break your legs. Um, <laughs> and that eventually over time, a film, you know, with aftermarket sales, hotels, airlines, DVDs and stuff, can eventually, you know, help to pay ba- pay that back. Because ideally, you know, if you're a producer on a film, you want to get you're an investor on a film, you want to see your investment returned, at least the, the, the base of your investment, even, even if you don't make a profit back, right? Right. Right. I mean, um, but of course, the, the idea of getting the money back the government getting the money back is still confounds me i'm, I'm just I, you know I, I, and i don't want to bring up like other countries leading by example or anything but you know south korea taiwan the trouble that the taiwan film industry is in um government still you know literally just hands out a lot of, a lot of subsidy money every year i mean in 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 retrospect they only maybe five figures us dollars mm. but the fact that the government should sort of look here's a little bit of a helping hand you need some money for marketing some money to finish up production whatever here's a little bit of money you don't have to return it but there's like look this the government um it's good publicity for government look we support the culture and and honestly my taxpayer money personally as a as, a, as someone in the cultural sector my money is going to subsidizing films that need the hand you know need a bit of hand I don't mind, mm. right? And the government also financially um, in Taiwan, uh, the government also financially rewards films that are really successful, which actually is kind of confounding. But it, it's also kind of a, a encouragement that the film that the government is act or the finance um, or I'm sorry, the Ministry of Culture is actively rewarding films for succeeding. Um, and even then, they would still you know give help to films that need help. And we're not just talking about the most indie of indie films. I'm talking about you know. To small budget productions um, or mid budget productions, um, and they say, "Look, you know, this part of this is very important that the culture of Taiwan is preserved, or the culture of Korea is preserved through cinema." Um, the fact that the Hong Kong cinema, sort of Hong Kong government, sort of treats this as a commercial enterprise, to still, it, it's a very, it's very reflective of the way Hong Kong cinema or people within Hong Kong cinema treats Hong Kong cinema. That is still a commercial enterprise rather than a, a artistic enterprise or something that is very much about preserving culture and heritage. Um, of course, I work at a, you know, at a company called Film Business Asia, so I, I recognize that there's a business part of the business um, uh, in in this world. But nevertheless, I think I think that if government is wants to help the film industry, I think the fact that they can use the play the cultural heritage card, I think it's more than enough to 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 um, convince legislator that it's worth doing. Yeah, well, I, I my my hope is that the you know, now that the fund has been sort of, uh, you know, reinvigorated with some additional money that uh, we'll see some good films come out of it. And, you know, more more good films than bad films. Let's hope. 
Yes, and and the twenty five million raise in the ceiling, um, obviously, is actually a very very good thing in terms of um, helping very much local local productions that don't want to rely on China money uh, to get this FD uh, to to get made. Um, I think this 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 raise in the ceiling, it's a very good thing. So I mean, uh, maybe we'll get Passion Island too. Woohoo! <laughs> I- <laughs> I don't know what to say about <laughs> um, In that case, uh, maybe maybe the fun should just go away. Oops. Uh, um, um, I'm getting trouble on the show anyway. Okay. Let's remember the views that I express rep- represents only me and mine alone and, and not of the or any of the organization that I represent. Anyway, that's it. Okay. okay. Next yeah. <laughs> final bit of news. Um kind of bonus news, not really a film related news, but I guess this could be a potential plot element in, in the Triumph in the size, uh, Sky sequel. A girl, and I will explain her identity later on. Um Took a photo of her because she she was lucky enough to sit in a jump seat uh, of a plane, of, apparently a flight from Taipei to Hong Kong. Um, uh, she was lucky enough to sit in the, in the jump seat in the in, in the cockpit behind the captain or the 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 co captain. I'm not sure where the jump seat is in the cockpit anyway, but it's behind the captain or the the um, the uh, what's the other name? Co captain? I don't know. Co pilot. Co pilot. I don't know. Navigator is a guy in the behind on the right. Yeah. So anyway, so this girl t- took the flight back. Um, and of course, if you get to sit in such a special seat, you have to take photos and you have to upload them on social media. And you also have to film the landing. Oh, wait, no, you don't. Because actually, this is called deadheading. And uh, my father works in the aviation industry. So um, it actually, dead, the term deadheading is something I've heard many years ago. Is that the uh, crew members or employees of an airline, even they're off duty if they're trying to get home or trying to get to an operating base that's outside of their hub? Meaning, let's say a Cathay flight is um, uh, diverted to another city and they need to bring in a new crew. That means they need to fly these crew out there for free. And this is what that heading is for. The flight is full, and they need to fit in these these crew members or employees or even families of employees who are on standby ticket. They need a seat, and the captain is kind enough to open up the jump seat. Then they can they can sit there. Uh, it's because it's just a getting a ride home essentially. Um, but this girl unfortunately um, took photos and sort of implied without saying that she's actually a flight attendant who works for Cathay Pacific. Um, sort of implied that she has some kind of special privilege uh, because maybe her 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 her, her looks or because of something. She uploaded her ticket. She uploaded the photos from the cockpit. She also filmed the landing. Um, unfortunately, the the writers of SCMP and Apple Daily are not familiar with such practices in the aviation industry and thought that yes, she was indeed someone who received special privilege and um, blew it out of proportion. And of course, many people who are not um, familiar with the aviation industry jumped in and of course, um, uh, uh, like the self-entitled citizens of Hong Kong jumped in and criticized the girl for getting such said special privilege. Um, and now even the Hong Kong aviation, uh, according to a group called CX Secrets, which is uh, like a, a, a Facebook group come made up of um, anonymous people who write tips, essentially a post about Cathay Pacific or expresses their true view of the company, many of them employees. Uh, one mentioned that the, the captain of that flight has been um, 
uh, taking into management and and gotten his you know and it had a share of apparently being scolded at and now the crew crew members will not be able to sit in the jump seat at any occasion which makes crew trying to travel home or trying to travel on holiday on their on their um, lowly standby employee discount tickets uh, much more difficult so yeah, I, I think it's kind of sad that the age of social media and the age of everyone had to show off on social media has now officially taken to new heights that that um, that is getting entire company's uh, employee benefit uh, in, in putting it in jeopardy and and uh, pretty much yeah, I it, it's just quite sad uh, about this whole show off mentality of social media, um, Paul. What do you think? Do you think you think there's a good good plot for Triumph in the Sky three? I I'm just wondering how long. I, I'm sure this is going to show up in some local comedy uh, as a as a plot device at some point. I'm just wondering how long it, it'll be. If we'll see it in something this year or next year. But I I, I almost guarantee that we're going to see this as a as a one off joke or something. Yeah, even a flirting in air made fun of the uh, the Cathay Pacific cockpit uh, photo rumor uh, or scandal, so to speak. You know, I, I do. I, it, it's just it's people today are just so easily uh, butthurt over any little thing that that pops up. I mean, I saw the story and I saw immediately saw the photo of a girl and I said, she's a stewardess, obviously. I mean, you just look at her; it, she 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 has the stewardess look. I'm I I, I said. I was on like 99% sure, and I hadn't even read through the story that she was working or she was an associate somehow that had got that seat, you know. And I, I, knew how, I know how deadheading works, although when somebody says deadheading to me, it makes me think that it's a bunch of old dudes going to a Grateful Dead concert. But you know, <laughs> that's a different thing. Um, so, I, you know, I was just like, why is, why is this a big deal? You can't be in the cockpit unless you have authorization uh, from the captain, and usually that only comes if you are an employee of the airline company so you know what's the what's the big deal and, and and that's what exactly you know what seemed to come out the fact that Cathay's taken disciplinary action on this whole thing kind of makes me scratch my head even more it's like you know you should just come out and say hey that's our policy that's what we do for our employees aren't we a great company yes we are enough said the only thing that maybe should have done was to stop the girl from filming the, the landing or taking photos in the cockpit because apparently there are strict company procedures uh, banning yeah. people yeah, from doing that. That might very she might have very well broken protocol there, and and, yes. and if that's the case, you know she could be you know uh, you know given up. You know, I don't know, slap on the wrist or something. I mean, this, right. is, this is not a big deal, people. Right. Uh, eh. just, people just want to gripe, and I want to gripe about people griping. So <laughs> This is what the, this is what podcasts are for, Paul. I mean, people griping about people griping. I mean, I, I yes, that's why I'm here. Yeah, we're gonna start a new show. You scream, I scream. <laughs> okay. All right. Any other news from you, sir? Nope, that's it. We're handing over to you, Paul, for this week's review. All right, we will do that after a short interlude, and we'll be back to talk about twelve golden ducks. Just a gigolo, and everywhere I go, people know the part I'm playing. Paid for every dance, selling its romance. Oh, the scene. There will come a day, and youth will pass away. What will they say about me? When the end comes, I know there's a just a gigolo. 
Life goes on without me And just a gigolo Everywhere I go People know the part I'm playing Okay, so this week's film, uh, part of the, uh, I guess, five films now of, of Chinese New Year, although one of those films, as Kevin mentioned, was not actually released during Chinese New Year. We've only gotten that released this past week. Uh, but this is the film 12 Golden Ducks, which is, I, it's not really a direct sequel to the Golden Chicken series, but it's kind of fourth in the series. Um, it, it's, it's dealing with many of the same themes. We have Sandra M in the lead. Um, and it's got some of the same kind of plot elements. So let me give a quick breakdown of the story. Uh, it's a story about the exploits of a person named Future Chung, played by Sandra M, uh, a once king among gigolos. He now finds himself on hard times. Having been cheated by a young lover, Future seeks solace as a male stripper dancer in Thailand, uh, and he lets himself go. But when an old mentor, played by Anthony Wong, uh, Wong Chao Sang, vows to help him get his game back, Future returns to Hong Kong to reclaim his fa former glory as a gigolo. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a kind of very simple, straightforward plot. These kinds of films tend to be built around uh, set pieces. They also tend to be somewhat reflective and nostalgic of different time periods. And this film works uh, along those same lines. Of course, the big selling point here, if you've seen the trailer, is that Sandra M is basically playing a male character. Um, she's cross-dressed for the whole film uh, as Future Chung, a male gigolo. And uh, right off the bat, we got to talk a little bit about that. They do some prosthetic work on her. It also looks like they do some CG work in some scenes. And, I mean, some I, I lost track uh, sometimes in this film. I mean, I, she really kind of brought herself into the role. Um, she looks odd at times, but sometimes I just, you know, oh, she looks like a boy band member, you know, <laughs> with a little bit of a of, of stubble. Um, you know, so I really bought into it at some times. Other times, it didn't work quite as well. But m m for the most part, I say her performance was pretty spot on um, doing what she does. And, you know, the reason I say it is... I think back to the Sandra, mm, you know, when she was the the butt of jokes as the fat chick, right? Uh, back in the 80s and, and 90s films, right? She was the, the, the ugly kind of fatty girl, um, not quite as, as fat as Lydia Shum, but she would be, you know, the, the, that, that, that ki kind of role. And she's come so far in the variety of things she can do. So I, I think it's pretty interesting to see her go from, you know, that stereotype that she used to be to what she's doing these days. And, and this further adds to that. Uh, the title is taken from the fact that there are 12 stars um, who, who work in the gigolo industry. And you do get to meet them uh, throughout the movie. You get to see all 12 of them together in one shot that happens a little bit later in the movie when they have sort of a birthday celebration for this character called Aunt May, played by uh, Lisa Luyan. Um, but most of the time, it's just smaller set pieces with um, these, you know, celebrities. And some of them work and, and some of them don't, which is typical for this kind of, you know, the writing that goes on in, in this kind of plot. It's not really overly concerned with the overall story. Um, they, they set up early on this fact that um, the character Future is cheated by this, this girl and uh, that kind of damages him psychologically and makes him let himself go 
I kept thinking they were going to return to that storyline at some point, but they never really do. And, and that's fine. They, 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 don't, they don't really need to. Um, they just concern themselves with the set pieces at hand, and that plays out fairly well. Um, you get some other characters. When Future comes back to Hong Kong, he sort of gets with this stable of other, um, other actors. One includes, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Kevin, uh, Baby John. Is that right? Yes, baby John uh, Choi from the way we dance. So, and and he is a, is he a local guy or is he from Korea? No, he's local. No, he's Hong Kong. It's very long. Okay. He, he won the best new actor last year. In, uh, okay, Hong but, Kong but he's he's playing basically a riff on the Professor Doe character from My Love from the Stars, right? Oh, I guess I didn't think about that. Yeah, I guess that's what he was he's doing. Like pretending to be this kind of like intellectual alien. alien character oh god i didn't make that connection yeah because, so, you know, the so film is so yeah I, i'm not familiar with with him with, with a lot of his work but yeah it, he he's kind they're kind of playing a riff on uh, uh, some a k-drama that was popular in, in 2014 um a couple other characters that uh that, that kind of join him in, in their path to learning how to be uh better gigolos um there's a side story relationship that's established with Nick Tse, Nicholas Tse, um, where he was like a former schoolmate of Future Chung and has a crush on him. And uh, that's kind of interesting, and that plot parallels plots we've seen in the Golden Chicken series before, where usually there's a, there's a character um, that's involved with the Sandra M character who's got a, a somewhat serious crush or, or, or there, there's a, a more serious side to that relationship, even though the character's involved in sex work. And in some way, shape, or form, that relationship ends up being sort of a savior uh, relationship for the character, usually, you know, financially or some other, you know, through some other means. Uh, things come back later on in the plot to, you know, to kind of save the day. Um, and in this case, kind of a similar thing happens. It's kind of interesting to see Sandra and Nick on the screen, both as males and and some of the chemistry that goes on there because it's weird at times, but it it works. I mean, it's it's not beyond the realm of believability. Um, another interesting thing about this film too is I think it's ironic how Chinese New Year has become associated with either sex or gambling in the past couple years. You know, Chinese New Year again is kind of like a a combination of Thanksgiving and Christmas um, in terms of some of what's being celebrated. So if you're not familiar, too familiar with the, you know, Chinese New Year, if you haven't had a chance to celebrate or be in Hong Kong or China or another Asian country when it's going on, you know, it, for kids, it's a time of getting red packets and exchange, you know, that, that sense of excitement that, that goes with that kind of an exchange. Um, with family, it's about getting together and you know cleaning the house and and having family time and and spending time together, and yet at the same time we get these movies that are about sex or gambling, right? Two of the biggest vices <laughs> in the world. So I just think that that's ironic. And even in 2015, you consider we've already had three films about sex work this year. We had um, you know back in January, I guess, with the Gigolo. Uh, this film, 12 Golden Ducks, and right now we've got uh, Herman Yao's film, Sarah, uh, that's just been released. So a lot of focus on sex work 
at the start of 2015. I don't know. It, it is very odd that Golden Duck sort of um, uh, shifted its attention from sex work to, you know, just partying with women. Yeah, yeah. it's very, yeah. it's really like a sanitized version for new New Year audience. Yeah, and it has kind of downplayed the sex aspect. I mean, we don't really get any kind of, I mean, even in the first Golden Chicken, right, you had the idea of her working in PR bars and then working in massage parlors and, you know, um, you know, doing the occasional thing with her hands. And here we don't really even get any of that. It's just like, you know, these, these silly scenes where they get together and, and they go out with women and they're, they're actually giving the women therapy, right, uh, rather right. Than, 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 you know, kind of, uh, you know, uh, doing anything dirty with them. There's uh, a very feminist way of looking at this, but let's not get into that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there are plenty of cameos, of course. It wouldn't be a Chinese New Year without lots of cameos. Um, all of those individuals who are part of the, the 12 Golden Ducks, um, of course, one of them is not actually a male, it's a female, uh, but uh, they are uh, people of note. I, I won't go off the whole list here. Um, that's part of the fun of seeing the film. My favorite, though, is Louis Koo. Uh, who's gotten a lot of flack because he's been in pretty much every Chinese New Year film around this year. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, Louis Ku is somebody that I look forward to seeing. And he's got a small role here, but um, there's a funny part because he's playing basically a physical fitness instructor at a, at a gym, and the women all like flirting with him. And I guess he picks up side business from, from the flirting. Uh, so his, you know, the, they, the way they portray some of these gigolos is, that uh, they do they do a legit job, but that legit job kind of leads them to, you know, the the, the sex trade business. So oh no, Lewis Good doesn't play Gigolo. He's actually just one of Future's uh, old classmates, and the idea is that uh, uh, he everyone in every business is trying to make money off women oh, by, okay, by, yeah, by pleasing women. Yeah, that okay, I got I got it now. I thought that they were just kind of posing as the as that is their as their kind of front job, but they were actually working. Okay. No, no. Um, all right. Anyway, so but he he yeah he's like a physical fitness instructor. Uh, Anthony Wong teaches women Cantonese opera. Um, uh, who's the who's the guy who was the cook? Uh, I don't remember oh, his gosh. name. A young 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 guy. I don't didn't immediately I don't remember now. Remember his name, but he's like a cook. He's teaching like women to cook. Ah, <laughs> uh, Paco Chow. Yeah, yeah, Paco, Paco Chow. And then he he's teaching women to cook, and then they start like throwing icing on him as he as he's got his shirt you know coming off because it's so hot in the kitchen and i'm just looking at that scene going really this is i mean he's sweating all over the food that's kind of gross right I, is that considered sexy by women i don't know but uh you know the, the different you know uh, different perspectives right uh, mars and venus i guess i don't uh but lewis ku is my favorite because he does this gag um which is he's kind of reprising he reenacting his role of Guo Yi from Return of the Condor Heroes with uh, his co-star at that uh, from that TVB drama Carmen Lee, who was Xiu uh, Longnoi, the little dragon girl. Um, so those are two famous characters if you know the Return of the Condor Heroes story. Um, I've never seen uh, his version of it. I know I know it's out there. I've always watched the Andy Lau one. Uh, I should probably go back and watch the the Louis Ku one. But they do a they do a gag in the gym, uh, and then it becomes a cutscene a bit later at the end, which is kind of funny. So if you're familiar with that that story, you'll you'll uh, like that a little bit. Um, so yeah, that's uh, the other cameos: Wyman Wong and Ivana Wong, who run a Thai restaurant that doubles as a male brothel. And I don't know, Ivana's kind of knocking it out of park this year too. She's just uh, 
she's pretty funny when when she's putting on uh, the, these crazy roles. Um, there's a C.Y. Lung gag where Fiona Sit is apparently his secretary, and uh, she wants to hire uh, Patrick Kung to basically beat the smack out of him uh, as he doubles as a you know C.Y. Lung, and she becomes a punching bag. Uh, it mentions on Hong Kong Movie Database Ronald Cheng, uh, but I don't remember seeing him. Did he pop up somewhere, Kevin? I think he was supposed to do one, and I think he couldn't. So yeah, he didn't do a cameo. Okay, I, I thought I might have. I thought I might have missed it, or it might have been something that showed up in the end credits. Um, so yeah, lots of lots of um, lots of cameos, lots of set gags. Joey Young uh, shows up a, a little bit later towards the end of the film, um, and. Yeah, it's 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 a bit of a pullback from the golden, especially Golden Chicken SSS, where it was still very sexual because you know they go to Japan, you know, to learn oral from Edison Chen and and Wyman Wong, and um, you know we don't get any of that kind of uh, direct sexuality here, which is fine. I mean, it's still it's still you know uh, supposed to be funny. There is a there is a scene where they're in Thailand and. Uh, they're at the Thai strip bar, and they've got, like, a bodysuit on Sandra. Mm. She's showing off, like, a, a small beer belly and uh, her chest, which is it's just kind of weird to look at um, in some ways because it's a prosthetic, and I guess they're doing some, some uh, visual effects work as well in that scene. But uh, at the very end, we get uh, just a weird moment of a dance-off that made no sense to me at all and um, because I'm not a big fan of current China pop or K-pop and I had to actually ask uh, the gang you know what was up with that scene and so I guess the the, the it's a, like a young currently hot celebrity who was in a boy band in Korea and is now doing a solo career do I have that right Kevin yes but he's a bit controversial because he's trying to sue his way out of the agency um for k-pop fans he is uh luhan without luhan right the the boy the former member of a korean boy band named exo and they're very big in both china and korea because exo is split into two groups one group of chinese members six of them and the other group of six korean members and together they're seriously one of the biggest pop groups right now in asia and Luhan last year, along with another member, um, and they didn't do it together, but in the same year, two of the Chinese members um, uh, left, sort of unilaterally left, left the group, and and trying and they're trying to strike out their own careers in in China and in Hong Kong. Um, and the thing about Luhan is that because of his cameo. Uh, his agency in Korea, SM, has already filed a lawsuit against the film's producers for hiring him um, while he's still under contract with the Koreans. So there's a little bit of side controversy mm-hmm. controversy to film. Interesting. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, you know, the, the, the controversial politics of pop as, as it stands. But it, to me, I just kind of saw this scene and I, and it, I said, all right, this is a... Obviously, a young pop idol who I don't recognize. He kind of looks and moves like Justin Bieber. Okay. Um, it, it was kind of a down note to the overall end of the film because I didn't really get into that. So I think... Oh, that, you do not want to piss off the K-pop girls on the internet. Probably. I'm sorry. I'm just being <laughs> honest. You know, uh, I, I'm sure it worked for some people. It didn't work for me. And I'm not sure if it's going to be working for the international folks because I don't... I mean, I don't know if it's somebody they're going to recognize. 
Uh, it's it's it seems to be so current, you know. And if this is a thing like, again, this kid might be really talented, but if if this is a thing uh, like a passing thing, like if he's like the twelfth member of Cookies or something that nobody's going to remember in in five to ten years, and you go back and watch this film, it's going to be like what you know you know what I'm saying, <laughs> um, right? But yeah, so uh, most most of the film I had fun with that that last scene just kind of left me scratching my head. Uh, so if that's you when you watch this, don't feel bad. Uh, they they well, do have end credit scene too. Uh, that uh, uh, I guess I'll throw in a spoilers track here. So we're gonna spoil the end credit scene. So if you haven't seen it and you don't want to be spoiled, uh, stop listening right now. Spoiler. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, Eddie Pang who shows up in a role that I, it's kind of funny because they kind of allude to uh, him uh, throughout the film in in a couple spots, and so it's funny when it shows up. But come on. That Come was actually on. not in the original version of the film. When we saw it, it was not in the original version of the film. They literally went to Shanghai to shoot that like the week the f- film came out. So you saw it and it wasn't in that film? Yes, this, this, you, you saw the extended, the so-called extended version that came out uh, uh, a week after the original opening. Yes, but, and that was the whole draw of the extended version was having him in the film. So no one knew it, was, it wasn't going to be until the end credits. But come on. It's not Andy Lau. Come on. <laughs> I mean, Eddie's great. He's great. Okay. But nah, come on. Last year, you, you, you get Andy Lau last year in, in SSS and nah, nah, not Eddie Peng. Got to be somebody, at, you know, at least Andy Lau worthy. Jackie Chung or, or somebody. I mean, come on. Well, we all know Andy Lau shows up in another New Year film. Ah, uh, yeah. More spoilers. Okay. Uh, well, I'll say one of them. I'm not going to say which one. <laughs> yeah. Pick, pick. Gosh. Five. Yeah. <laughs> And and it's not either of the ones we've talked about so far. So that, that, <laughs> you just that point, narrows you just it down it. to three others. I did not go there. I did not go there, sir. <laughs> All right. Uh, but yeah, the the final verdict is if you've liked the Golden Chicken series thus far, there's still quite a bit to like here, especially seeing Sandra kind of turn the tables and, and take on a male role. Um, as I said, the effects don't always work, but it's still... Uh, you can suspend your disbelief in most most of what goes on, and it's still pretty entertaining uh, for a Chinese New Year film. All right, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Uh, you have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast, and if you'd like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us, of course, via our website over at Kongcast.com. Uh, also, follow us on Twitter at Kongcast, and if you want to send us a line, you can do so via the website or drop us a message over at eastscreen at gmail.com. Uh, Kevin, uh, let's tell the people where they can find you, especially if you're interested in following up on more of what we talked about today with the Hong Kong uh, Film Fund, if that's the kind of thing that interests you. Kevin's got an article up on that over at his site, uh, Film Biz Asia. So, Kevin, um, you know, where can people get in touch with you? Yes, people can read my daily work on uh, Film Business Asia. That's www.filmbiz.asia or F-I-L-M-B-I-Z or Z if you're from, you know, anywhere but America, uh, .asia. Um, I'm also on Twitter under The Golden Rock. The Golden Rock, that's one word. I guess the golden rock. Um, you can also email me at Kevin at filmbiz.asia if you have any story tips. Um, and I think Paul also has an email for the podcast. Um, I'm, of course, I'm on the other social media. If you, if you, you know, know how to look me up, I'm also active on the Love HK Film uh, Facebook group. Um, 
So yeah, I, I am not a very quiet person on social media, but I would never post my picture on the jump seat. Well, that's all well and good. Uh, yeah, so we're going to be talking about more movies and more news on the next episode, 157. So all of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Green Podcast saying, dance like someone paid you to do it, and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Sweet way.